Jennifer Grey's character Baby in the 80s iconic film Dirty Dancing was a revelation, writes The Guardian's Melissa McEwen. And in re-watching this classic movie, specifically for this episode, I wholeheartedly agree. I remember this movie for the swoon-worthy Patrick Swayze, the corny but brilliant soundtrack, and well, that lift at the end. In the rewatch, though, I discovered a frank, feminist, funny dialogue that, while unfolding on a cheesy backdrop of the cat skills, was absolutely ahead of its time. I rang up my wonderful pal, Ellen Steele, who is a teacher and educator, a mum of two little girls, and an avid reader of all things pop culture. A chat with Elle is one of my favourite things to do because she is always across everything I want to be reading and finds equal joy in discussions of parenting dilemmas and politics to Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina-scented candles. I called her up one night in the depths of the pandemic back in August 2021 when we were both experiencing so much uncertainty, trying to work and parent and frankly survive with no real light at the end of the tunnel was an experience I think I'll never forget. As of Friday, the 22nd of October, Melbourne has come out of hibernation and for the first time in months, I was allowed to venture out of my house for whatever reason I damn well pleased. So with this in mind, I reckon what a fun time to do a deep dive into one of my favourite feminist films with a good friend and then commiserate or maybe the better word is ruminate on the trials and tribulations of parenting girls. Here she is, Ellen Steele. I recommend this episode is best done with a glass of wine in hand and your feet up on the couch. Off we go. Hello, Ellen. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to have to watch the giggling because I just giggle a lot with you, Ton. <laughs> we can always edit it out and I feel like people need giggling at this time in uh, their lives, don't they? Free. Completely. They really do. They really do. Everything's hard. Everything <laughs> is hard. Everything is hard. And so I've had a cocktail, you're drinking a wine. We're get we're getting through the way we're getting through. And one of the ways we're getting through is by talking about dirty dancing. <laughs> I know it's gonna be super fun. Would you like to kick off by just talking about your initial impressions after rewatching the film? Yes. Well, I think the first way to start is to set the scene of when I first watched the film, mm-hmm. which was I was year nine, friends sleepover. It would have been early 2000s, maybe late 90s. And it was this 80s movie set in the 60s that I'd kind of heard about but never really watched. And I loved it at the time and then haven't really watched it since. And when you said Dirty Dancing, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we can do Dirty Dancing. I always loved it. And, oh, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I I really geeked out on it. It was just for anyone that's debating what to watch this week, get on. I watched on Stan and watch Dirty Dancing. It just, I, I found it really delightful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Unexpectedly. Me too, because I sort of vaguely had this idea that it was going to be really problematic and really sexist. And look, we can get to some of that stuff. But overall, it was just wonderful to be swept away on a summer holiday in the Catskills. I just I agree. I was all ready to get my feminist hat out and be like, oh, this is what's wrong with it and this is, you know. But actually I was was mightily impressed and there was a lot of things I'd missed the first time round, but I just really enjoyed it. It's so good, isn't it? All right, so for those who haven't watched it, 
there's not there's a little spoiler alert here, but I'll just give a recap. So if you want to stop now, pull yourself a wine, yeah. go watch it, and then just come back. It was made in the eighties. I think you've had <laughs> enough time to watch it. Correct. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing with your life? What happened? So Baby, otherwise known as the actress Jennifer Grey, do we know what her real name is? Did we find that out? I feel like I didn't know. Oh, Francis. Francis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Francis. Was that during the sex scene? I can't really ask her that. Oh, I think it's just before. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Very sexy. I mean, to be fair, also Patrick Swayze in this is a dream. He I had forgotten how dreamy he is in this. And he was about 34 when he did it as well. I Googled it afterwards. She was 25. He was 34. Dreamy. Oh, so dreamy. Just our age, Elle, basically. I know. No wonder. Perfect. Just the perfect age, really. Like a fine wine. Um, Yeah, so Baby is one listless summer away from the Peace Corps. Did you know what the Peace Corps is? Do you know what Isn't that is? Isn't it where they go off and do some kind of service? Yeah, in the US. Overseas. Yeah. Yes. I think. Yeah, I think that's what it is too. So she was going, and she's quite political, which I don't didn't remember no. either, right? Yeah. And very social justice minded. Yes. And she's wearing like some beautiful dresses, but also quite cool shirts in this. That was one of my notes. Everything she was wearing is cool now. High-waisted denim shorts with little blouses, um, these white um, cropped jeans with a shirt that looks so cool. I was like, I want that for summer. And it was very cool costuming as well, which I'd forgotten. But maybe it wasn't so cool in the late 90s when we were wearing I don't know, sunflower dresses and collared neck collars, which are all back in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the, like the age of the skinny jean, oh. you know, with my Bettina Liano jeans that were very low. So maybe I wouldn't have thought it was as cool. I know. She's just such a, she seems so, as as a character, so cool. So anyway, Baby goes up, is one summer away from the Peace Corps and she's hoping to enjoy her youth while it lasts. And she's disappointed when her summer plans deposit her at a sleepy resort in the Catskills with her parents. Now, the Catskills, I hadn't realised this, but it's like a real thing in that particular kind of American culture, right, to like go to a place like this with a whole lot of other young people and families in these kind of big resort style things. Yeah, that we and don't I, really have. It's kind of like summer camp. I always hear about all these kids going away on summer camp, like you know the parent trap, and you meet your twin or whatever. But yeah, it's foreign concept, I think, to us to kind of either go away for a big block of time in one place in a big you know resort, mm. or to send your kids away for a few weeks every summer. Yeah, it's totally different. Anyway, so she goes with her parents and her sister as well, and her sister is quite. I want, for want of a better word, girly, shall we say, quite different to baby. But she finds her luck turns around when the resort's dance instructor, Johnny, enter Patrick Swayze, <laughs> enlists baby as his new partner for their dancing and the two fall in love. So baby's father forbids her from seeing Johnny, but she's determined to help him perform the last big dance of the summer. Now that's quite like a quick summary And it just makes it sound so frivolous, but it's not. It is heart and soul. And, you know, when you do that summary, you go, oh, that doesn't sound so great. It's amazing. No. Oh, it's so amazing. Okay, so 
Shall we just build it up for the audience? So the dancing in this, obviously there's Patrick Swayze as the dance instructor and his partner, and they're like these sexy dancers who are always like performing and then kind of workshopping all these rich couples in in these dances and kind of around everywhere. And there's a a podcast that I listened to um, called The Bechtel Test, Mm. and they coined the phrase sexy poor, which (laughs) terrible right but it's basically this idea that baby and her family are quite well to do and then she stumbles upon all of the kind of the behind the scenes stuff (laughs) sorry (laughs) when when you said sexy poor to begin with I thought p-a-w and I was like maybe there's some sexy pouring going on (laughs) p-o-o-r yes right I'm back there are also sexy pouring of the, of the of people in this as well, absolutely. Because obviously, <laughs> oh god! Because baby, when she's she's you know a bit bored with her family or whatever, and they're dancing in like their very, this very formal setting with the dance instructors, and they do this beautiful dance as like a showcase. Yeah. But then behind the scenes, the management of the hotel are really like looking down on them all the time. And for some reason, always kind of yelling at Johnny, Patrick Swayze's character, and saying things like, you shouldn't be saying that, Johnny. You better not go anywhere near these ladies. Like in this real, like only dancing for you. <laughs> but then like the wait staff who are like, are like these like kind of college boys. Ivy League. Are the ones, Ivy Leagues, who he enlisted to like, the manager to schmooze the like women or the young ladies or something that he says they're allowed to do more and take them out to the woods and smooch them and whatever else so there's this real class divide going on anyway so that baby starts to notice all of that and then she follows one of the dancers and stumbles on coin the phrase the sexy poor who are all (laughs) dirty dancing (laughs) this kind of barn thing and they are all so sexy. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're really jar like I don't really even know what that dance is called. It's, I do you know what? That was the thought that I had watching it. One that I haven't been out dancing for a very long time with two little kids. <laughs> And oh my god! I don't think I ever danced like that when I did go out. That was next level. <laughs> oh, because it's when all the staff clock off, right? Um, not the Ivy Leagues, just like everyone else, and like all the artists who are apparently lower class or something. It's it's that is rid- terrible. But yeah, they're all just like super flexible as well, and like I know they're dancers, but also. They just start from the hotel and they're like rolling around and like jiving in this like really full on way. <laughs> so funny to me, which leads me to my favorite line, which was baby when, because the, to get into the sexy poor, I should stop saying that. It's a terrible phrase. Anyway, you know, bonanza of dances. Yeah. She carries better. a watermelon. Yeah. Bonanza. The sexy bonanza that's happening in this like shed. She follows one of the dancers and he and um he lets her carry a watermelon, which is why she gets to be carried in. And then and Johnny bursts in with his partner and they do their dance and everyone thinks they're an item or baby does, but she finds out they're not. And then he comes over to talk to her and she says, I carried a watermelon. Because he's like, she shouldn't be here. 
<laughs> I just delighted in that moment so much. Jennifer Gray is excellent. In she is excellent. And what I really liked, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but what I really liked about the baby character was, yes, they kind of sexy her up for later on when she has to do that kind of fancy dance with Johnny. But actually, for the most part, he kind of seems to like her for her. Like he says that. He says, no, you don't change and you care about people and, you know, you've got values and that's what I so admire about you. And I think that's pretty awesome. I don't think we see that all the time. You know, you see all of these teen movies where the girl has to be sexified and totally change and um, that wasn't in this, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I really loved that too. I, I thought that dynamic between them was really great and and fun and it it kind of flips how you thought it might go on its head. You know, like she has autonomy in their relationship, yeah. I think. Yeah. That you that I don't think I thought she had. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I also I think I thought maybe he took advantage of her or something. But that's actually not the narrative of the story. No, no, she's a very willing and, um, as you said, autonomous decision maker in it, which is really yeah. – she's swept away in it, obviously, because it's Patrick mm. Tracy teaching oh, how to dance. Come on. Exactly. But, oh you know, God. it seems equal, I think. They seem like equal. Yeah. Most I, I, I didn't remember it as such. No. It's interesting. I, th- I totally agree. And I, I think that she actually also just really enjoyed that finding that part of herself, you know, because she's young and you can kind of see her sexuality opening up mm. in that whole thing, in that trajectory of that coming of age. And rather than that being a bad thing, it's actually a really kind of wonderful thing. And, you know, standing up to her father as well, because I really – I was I had forgotten as well that they do deal with some darker themes, right? Mm. So the reason why baby has to, you know, go and do the last big dance of the summer and train to be a dancer with Patrick Swayze all hinges on the fact that his dance partner is pregnant and doesn't want to be, but can't afford an abortion and she's pregnant to one of the Ivy League guys mm. who has just disowned her and said he doesn't want anything to do with her. And so that's kind of the crux of the problem that ba- baby then steps up to try and solve. Mm. I thought that was really interesting. Did you have any notes on that part? Yeah, because I looked into, I did a bit of background research into it and they were talking to the writer about that and how she got a lot of backlash about keeping it in and a lot of people saying, no, you've got to take that out. This is the 1980s, you know. It was seen in the 60s but it was made in the 1980s. And she said, I can't because literally that's what the whole film is about, that if that goes, there's no reason for baby to have to help and there's no reason for baby to have to learn the dance and um, that's why they're able to keep it in, which I thought was a really interesting approach to trying to keep that key storyline that probably would have been cut in other movies. Mm, absolutely. Well, the writer was Eleanor Bergstein, Bergstein, and I was surprised because it was produced by Linda Gottlieb and directed by Emile Ardolino. Mm. So it's quite a female-led creative team as well. Mm. For 1987, I mean, that was pretty unheard of. Yeah. You know? Even which makes for now. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly, even now. Unfortunately. Which goes, exactly. Which, I know, it's something like one in ten writers or screenwriters are women, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I thought that was just so inspiring. And also 
as often happens when I start looking at films like this, makes sense. It makes sense why the sexuality and the kind of build up of tension in the movie and like just the general hotness of Patrick Swayze, but also their relationship, all of it mm. is is a really feminine energy to it. Like it's got that kind of beautiful narrative arc that this is a big generalization, but I do think women need mm. in that build up, right? Even the sex scene, I think is really something you can get into, you know, <laughs> as opposed to some of the other sex scenes we see in films that are just like, bam, wham, and she's like immediately happy and it's all la-di-da fine, you know? <laughs> I do. I do. And what I also like about it, which I've only just thought of, is it shows women that they can be this and, not this or. You can be smart and have this wonderful, great relationship and, you know, very sexually charged, it's not a and or. And that's so often not what we see on film in particular. It's women are very, you know, one-dimensional and, and you just have to kind of take, oh, yes, there's the sexy girl or oh, there's the smart girl, whereas this is both, which seems kind of revolutionary. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally think that's revolutionary because it, and it's and it feels truer, right? Because mm-hmm. women aren't just one dimensional and there isn't just the blonde bombshell. I mean, even Johnny's dance partner Penny, she's ostensibly the blonde bombshell, right? Of the of the movie and when it's the movie kind of sets it up as her being this incredible, sexy, kind of amazing dancer. But then very quickly she has this really complicated storyline and this really difficult back history where she's come from no money really and no support network and so her only means of, you know, keeping things afloat is dancing. Mm. And so for her, falling pregnant is literally an end point for her because she's unmarried at that time. She doesn't have any autonomy or ability to make money any other way. And her and baby have that kind of difficult conversation and baby's quite shocked by that, I think, because Mm. she is quite sheltered in a lot of ways. But then going to her father, her father is a doctor. What did you think of their relationship? Because the baby goes to him to help get money to pay for the abortion, right, Mm. for Penny. What did you think of their father figure? Uh, It just reminded me of me and my dad and how highly I held and hold him in my mind and you know that kind of adoration that you hope most girls have for their fathers and you know I know that there's research out there that shows that that women that have had strong male caregivers or fathers actually kind of have better relationships later on and they um, have better understanding themselves and and all of that so I think it kind of just demonstrates that that she's got a very even though she's a bit shy, she's a bit a bit unsure about herself, she's still got a strong sense of who she is. And I think that definitely comes from that relationship she's got. Whereas her sister seems a lot more unsure, outwardly not, but her relationship with the father, it seems a lot more tense, which is an interesting thing. 
Mm, I thought that was really interesting too. Why did you think that was? Yeah, so I think the dad sees himself a lot more in baby than he does in Lisa because Lisa seems a bit frivolous. She's worried about how many shoes she's brought and what she's going to wear and whereas baby does care about monks burning themselves as her, you know, one of her opening lines. So, you know, I think it's that connection. But then throughout the movie you see that Lisa is very pleased that she's starting to get her dad's attention at the, you know, neglect of baby a little bit because baby's on the outer. But, yeah, it is interesting to kind of see that that shift. Mm, I, I agree. It made me think about sibling relationships in general and as a parent that as the kids get older, that becomes a minefield, I think, trying to manage that. Even younger, I've got a, a two and a four-year-old little girls and, you know, trying to balance giving approval to one and then the other one already goes, oh, well, I'm also doing this, mum, or, you know, you don't have to say that to me because I'm doing it. And you just like, well, yes, we're not talking about you at the moment and trying to be balanced in that. It's really hard and it just doesn't end. (laughs) I'm sure my parents are still doing it. I know they are going, oh, I called this one last week. I'll have to call this one this week and balance it all out and... Yeah, and there are sometimes where one needs you more than the other and and vice versa. I think mum gave me some great advice, which was just make sure anything you do for one, you do for the other. Because when they're older and they're looking back at photo albums, if you don't have equal amounts of photos, you'll be in big trouble. (laughs) Oh, I'm a second child. I hear that. And it has not made me any better with my second child. <laughs> I feel more guilty about it, I think. But it you just get so busy and with the first it's, you know, a bit easy to have the time to take lots of photos and put them into photo books and do all of that. So oh, I don't know how parents of three or four like my parents I don't know how we've got any photos of anybody past the first. Yeah, I don't know either. I just don't know how your mum did it or my mum did it, to be honest. I always re- repeat how your mum just doesn't remember the 80s and 90s. I love that. She's, she's got no knowledge of the music or the movies in the 80s. <laughs> just because yeah. that was the decade we were all just intense. It was just intense. Yeah, and it, and it, I think sometimes it's really good to remember that. And I know we're getting your topic a bit, but I, I – it's good to remember when we're going through this time, you know, end of the world aside, just generally going through little parenting little kids. Yeah. Like it's hard. It's really all consuming. And there's a yeah. reason we're tired and our brains aren't functioning maybe at, you know, 90, 100% all the time because it's it's a lot and they need you physically yeah. so much, you know. Yeah. And I think also I've had a couple of comments from, you know, older parents saying also that our generation are thinking a lot more about our parenting than they ever did. And that that's, all, you know, I think we also need to pat ourselves on the back a bit because, you know, you can feel like, oh, my gosh, am I overanalyzing this? And I'm thinking about what color I'm buying for a present for a boy and if I can wrap it in blue or pink paper or, you know, I think that's all I that's what I try to do but I think it also take you you've got to it's not natural yet I think because we're still so ingrained in kind of societal constructs that we've grown up in mm. um so that also is hard and I think takes a bit of time in your parenting style as well yeah oh yeah completely I know and sometimes I wonder are we overthinking everything too much oh, I know yeah I do yeah 
I don't know. Are we overthinking the overthinking? <laughs> it's just yeah. like a vicious circle, isn't it? Yeah, I do and I don't. I Well, I just kind of – I look at these teenagers coming up and I'm just amazed at their – inclusiveness and openness and ability to just adapt to things and yes you know um and I've just seen you know like Mae Whitman coming up as pansexual and just you couldn't even fathom that that would be just go accepted so readily even a few years ago whereas I think this newer generation is really doing that with such ease and really showing the way for much older generations. I think our generation's doing pretty well with it, but it is changing quite quickly. So I just, I'm so looking forward to when our kids are grown and that that just won't even be an issue for them. They just won't even, I hope, look twice at who's got what girlfriend or boyfriend or what gender or sexuality or race or, or what all those things that have kind of been holding this construct um, and holding people back for so many years. Mm, I know. I'm really excited too. The older my son gets, the more excited I am. You know, he has little friends in his class who have two mums and that's just what it is you know, to him. And, and it's so simple and great. And there's no, I don't know, unpicking of anything because to him it's everyone's different and, you know, people's lives are the way they are. And it's about love and acceptance. And, and I love that. I just think it's so exciting. And the older that he gets, the more I'm excited about his opinions on things. And it's really awesome. But he did say to me today, mom, can you just stop talking about feelings? (laughs) All the time. <laughs> and I was like, thank you for telling me how you feel. <laughs> so, oh, you know, you know the pendulum can swing both ways, Ellen. The pendulum can swing uh, both ways. I did I did see Glennon Doyle post a little while ago and she said, you know, I've made a concerted effort to um, honour my students and uh, my ch- children's feelings and, and to um, make sure that they know how to express it. But sometimes I just wish they didn't express it quite so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the double-edged sword. <laughs> It's so easy, isn't it? It's a totally double-edged sword. I know we're making a rod for our own backs. Maybe the next generation will be a backlash to it and no one talks about anything. Oh, look, they'll have all their own problems that they have to talk about. Oh, my parents spoke, wanted me to be so open about my feelings. I just wish they'd let me live my life. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. If the world's still, you know, standing by that point, so... Before years along, we'll be fine. Anyway, let's go back to Dirty Dancing. All right. We got off track. All right. Yes, correct. Exactly. So Baby's father, I, I really love that relationship too. He obviously really holds very highly the, um, the same values as she does, of social justice mm. and wanting to help people and the way that he just gives her the money because he trusts her so much. And then when she calls on him to help Penny in the middle of the night, after everything goes wrong, he's also just straight there, straight in and helping her. There is an interesting kind of moral code around it, though, as well, isn't there? At one point he says to Johnny, who's standing outside the door when Penny, after he's helped Penny, who's responsible for this young lady, you know, in this, in this tone, that now is so interesting to think that that was completely accepted at that time, that 
you know, mm. someone needed to be responsible for her in that way. Yeah. I do wonder though, because when Johnny says it's me and he gets so angry about that, whether he's implying who's made her pregnant. Oh, like who? Oh, oh yes, actually, you were right. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. yeah. And then that's why he kind of gets so angry at Johnny and um, frustrated with Baby because Baby then, you know, holds his arm and um, shows that she's kind of quite enamoured with him. But, yeah, that was – it isn't interesting, that that view of the father of the men and, you know, there's that slimy waiter. So, yeah, the dad with the waiter that ends up getting Penny pregnant, Robbie, and you see that kind of – they cut to them where he's got his arm around him and, and it's because of that whole class and he's going to be Ivy League and he's going to be a doctor, whereas Johnny says that will never be me and, you know, it feels really on the outer of it and, and the dad's so ready to believe that Johnny would do something like that to Penny and leave her and, you know, leave her to fend for herself. So um, I think you said it when we were talking about this previously, it is it's such a story about class as well, which I hadn't picked up on before. You know, you just kind of think, oh, well, they're, they're the dancers and they're the guests, but it's actually about upper class and lower class and, and how they interact and where they overlap and what happens when that overlapping occurs. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I know that really surprised me, that whole theme. And that it kind of almost has a feel about it, doesn't it, of like forbidden love or something because mm. Johnny's from the wrong side of the tracks, which I hadn't really kind of computed because in my head to be a dancer is someone to be so highly skilled and mm. and it is such a like an incredible skill. I hadn't thought of it as being classist in any way. Yeah, yeah I, I found that really Well, and I guess the, the update is, you know, Save the Last Dance, which is about race where it's the black dancer with Julia Stiles and she's white and she's coming into his neighbourhood and um, has to go to that cool club where she gets, you know, the cool outfit. And I guess that's how they kind of updated that from the class to race. So I wonder what will be the next hurdle that it has to be in a dance movie. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing actually? Before we get on to Raising Girls, what are you doing at the moment for your mental health? I'm just asking everyone. Um, I wrote a list, actually. I think probably start of lockdown 6.0 for Melbourne. I thought, what can I control and what do I know works for me? So one of them was drink more water because I wasn't drinking enough water and I was feeling really tired. Another one was do something for me once a day. So that's not something with the it's not going for a walk with the kids or something like that it's um listening to a podcast and going for a walk or doing some I love to bake and you know listen to a podcast or I have a paint by numbers and uh, listen to music and and do that so um, I'm trying to do that I try to exercise once a day and what I'm trying to keep in mind in lockdown is not beating myself up if like I wanted to go for a run today and i just didn't, couldn't muster up enough energy to go for a run. I just go, no, this is mental health exercise. So if you want to do yoga, do some yoga. If you want to do stretching, do some stretching. If you want to just, like today, I took the kids and we just ran around the park and we played Chasey, do that. Um, but just moving my body once a day. And then the last thing is just, it sounds really twee, but just trying to be really find moments of gratefulness and gratitude. And damn, my husband's really good at this, but 
real moments of going, wow, those that sunrise on the leaves is looking beautiful this morning or this coffee is tasting amazing or just really little moments trying to catch myself throughout the day to appreciate those because the days blend a lot. (laughs) So, (laughs) and one thing actually that I picked up during early newborn days that I just love is having a shower at the end of the day. And I found in newborn days, it helped me differentiate between the day shift and the night shift because I didn't have a sleeper and she would wake every two hours. But it just helped me kind of go, okay, now it's the nighttime and this is your nighttime routine. And I found I've picked that up again. I have a shower, I put on my nice face cream, I get in my cozy pajamas and it differentiates me working from home and then me being in my nighttime. Um, and so I found that really helps me as well. Mm, there's something about rubbing your face with creams that is really uh, liberating and feels good. It's getting me it through. It just feels very luxurious. Yes, I've got a beautiful <laughs> serum and I sometimes use the go-to face masks and that just those little things really, it's so funny. They're so little but they really get you through They just make you feel like you're not dragging your feet from day to day. Mm, Exactly. And as I got on older, I've noticed my face moves more as I massage (laughs) it. And and (laughs) sometimes I'm really like quite concerned by how far it moves up, but also it feels so good to just like move all my wrinkles and everything around. Just lovely. Well, one of those rollers, you know, the one you see on the Instagram that all the celebrities use? Yes. I know the word for them now, gua gua sha. Guasha, apparently. They're like, yeah, it's like quartz or something. Yeah. And they're cold. And they, yeah, I want to get one of those. I think I need one of those. Lockdown 7.0. That's going to be my focus. Okay. You've got to kind of space things out, don't you? I know I've been doing it. You've got to really, you have something to look forward to. Isn't that the definition of happiness? Something you enjoy in the moment and something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, um, it's interesting because I heard a, a, um, researcher talking about the difficulties of lockdown and, and the pandemic and why people struggle so much with it. And he said to feel, you know, fulfilled and, and human, we need two things. We need certainty and we need touch and, and interaction with people. And this pandemic takes away both. And that was just so powerful to me. I thought, okay, then that's okay to feel unmoored because we're not living with what humans need, which is to know what's coming next and to have interactions with people and feel that connection, um, yeah. which is sad. But I, I have been pretty amazed at people. I know I know people are really, really tired now, but they're still, you know, I went and picked up my takeaway tonight and I said to the girl, I was like, you were so lovely on the phone. You, It was just so delightful to put my order through with you because she was so friendly and greeting everyone and they were under the pump and she just wanted to take your noodle order and, you know, people are still incredible. They really are. I know. And I, I think about hospitality workers and takeaway oh, workers. Yeah. I mean, I think about everyone. I think about teachers and nurses and everyone. But I think often the takeaway person who's doing your coffees or making your noodles you, that might be the one interaction that person has with another human for the day, yeah. you yeah. know, or it might be the one interaction that someone has with someone external to their family. And I just think what that is, a, that is a job of service too, right? Mm, just like absolutely. that little, like, 
when I go and get a coffee and I go and talk to Steph at the cafe and she knows my name and my order and it's five minutes, but it's just, and she's always so positive and she's always so Mm. lovely. And the other morning I came in and I must have looked like, I think it was when we'd had the news that things were, you know, extending Mm. into lockdown one billion and she like wrote love hearts on my coffee cup and I got my coffee and she was like have a great day Claire and I was like I nearly wanted to just like give her a big hug and I was like I'll just put my elbow out (laughs) and be like solidarity but you know I I just think it's so lovely and it does really make a big difference so that's all of that is such great advice I think because this is really a mental health for, for people who are lucky enough like me mm. to have a safe, warm roof over yep. my head, it's a it's a mental health challenge. Um, yeah, it is. It's the resilience that is required at the moment is just, it's really, it's a lot. And I'm really, really feeling for teenagers. I think, I actually think that they have it one of the worst because I look back on my own teenage life and I was doing musicals and debating and drama and hanging out with my friends and going out on the weekend and you know all of those things that make you a whole person and and they're not getting that and they're not even getting any social interactions in school they, they're going to online um, meetings and stuff like that but they don't they're not able to sit next to their mate and chat about the weekend's party or talk about their rehearsal that's coming up and what costumes they're going to get and you know that's the nerdy stuff I used to talk about but you know <laughs> smoking behind the sheds which is what oh, I used yeah. to do definitely yeah not. you were oh, so no. hard so I'm sure <laughs> I know you were Whatever the you're, you're a musical was. nerd like me I totally was I know that's why I didn't even pick you up on it because I was just nodding along like you're like yeah yeah you know like when you got to go on music camp with the flute (laughs) which is not a joke that I just what I did you know I went to writer's camp and we stayed out in the bush for two nights and got to write poetry about the eucalyptus trees (laughs) and it was just such a great time of my life (laughs) I was so free and rebellious (laughs) But I agree with you. I, I totally I just, agree with you. I think it's really hard. And they're worried about their futures. You know, they're, some of these kids have been in in remote learning for over a year now, a year and a half. And, you know, if you're kind of thinking, oh, I've got to do VCE next year or I've got to do this or that and I, I haven't been in a proper school, you know, in the long run for two years. And, look, it's it's been the right decision. It's what we've had to do. But I just mm. – and and teachers are so aware of the well-being and the mental health of their kids they're so concerned about it and that's been their focus but it's just i think we have to keep raising that awareness and know that this is this will be an impact for a while yet um mm, for these kids absolutely. and for everyone yeah totally i think there's little mini griefs and little mini losses everywhere you look and i do agree mm. with you about young people because i mean let's not even talk about climate change and the IPCC report. <laughs> oh, man, I need another wine for that one. Yeah, I know, exactly. So we won't go there. But if you're a teenager, like all of that must play a factor. And really at that time in your life, just like baby in Dirty Dancing, you're – See what you did there. Nice. Yeah, see a connection. <laughs> I did, uh, yeah, brought it back in. No, but you're just exploring your world, right? Yeah. And you're you're stepping away from your parents, which is what – 
some of the movie is about, it's quite hilarious that I see that now. It's obviously this like beautiful romance, but I messaged you and was like, it's a lot about parenting. <laughs> and I think and I messaged like, back, I think we're just old. We're yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're just old. I know. That's how you know you've really moved on. I'm not identifying with baby. I'm identifying with baby's father and mother. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, but yeah, it's that she's stepping away from her family and exploring her world and taking some risks and finding her feet. And that's what she's supposed to do as a teenager. That's what's Mm. natural, right? To step away Mm. from your parents. And I agree. I think these kids are doing it really tough because you literally, like, I couldn't have thought of anything worse than being forced to be locked down with my parents just endlessly and my siblings. And your siblings. Not that I didn't love them. Yeah, and trying to all uh, do some school learning, maybe all in the same room, all on a computer at the same time for weeks at a time and not being able to even go to a playground and hang out or, you know, like I'm seeing a lot of kids riding their bikes around here and I'm so pleased that they're able to do that. But, um, yeah, it's it's real. how do you get that outlet? Um, and you know, for us, screen time's definitely gone up. We're, we're both primary teachers and we try our hardest, but you know, it's, the days are long and you know, if it's rainy or that, it's, it's really hard to kind of occupy a four and a two year old without playgrounds, without play dates, without that external support that you need. Mm, completely. I know, I, I know we're in exactly the same boat. It's, um, it is a real worry. And I also think, like you were saying with all this mental health stuff, you also have to do what you can do to get through, right? I think with screen time, we're trying to be mindful of it and then we're also thinking at some point we all just need to be gentle on ourselves and do what we need to do to get through. It's visual literacy. Exactly. There's so much learning. Sesame Street, God, it's basically vegetables in another kind of visual form, I feel, completely. Um, <laughs> my daughters learn a lot. There's look, there is a very good cartoon for anyone that does want to have a visual literacy and feel good about yourself. It's called Super Y, and it's a reading comprehension cartoon. And they break down <laughs> sounds and um, putting in different sentences for words and um, you know comprehensions questions. But it's all in the form of a wonderful cartoon. So you know, if you want to feel like a great parent. Put on Super Y. It's excellent. Actually, I'm writing it down right now. Really, really good. It's on Netflix notes. or Stan. I can't remember what's on. Love it. I'm totally there. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? The more kind of little strategies and tips and tricks we can put up our sleeve, especially now with um, childcare centres closing too. Yeah. I, I heard something from my mum, who's a GP, which also made me feel I don't know if it made me feel better, but it made me put things into perspective. She was talking to one of her elderly patients and she has a lot of them. And this particular patient was saying that she'd been through wartime and that this was much worse than wartime. And my mum was kind of like, really? Okay. (laughs) And she said, yes, because during wartime, there was a big coming together. And even though it was really scary and challenging and there was a lot of, you know, sad things that were happening 
And I'm sure maybe someone who was on the front lines would not agree with this necessarily, but Mm. she said that all the things that we did to get us through, we came together, we baked bread together, we went to church together, Mm. you know, we had dancers, women went into the workforce, the kids Mm. all banded together, we all went to school and we baked Anzac biscuits or we, you know, we did all these things for the wartime effort. And you're like what you said before, that human touch where I think we're, we're communal beings and we're designed mm. to be in community with each other. Mm. Um, and so when the, that is stripped away, I mean, at its core, that's what the hardest part of all of this is, right? All of the little interactions that we have on a daily basis, all yeah. the things that you would normally do, go to the movies with friends, go for coffee with friends, you know, your kids would go and play with their mates. You might take a trip if you're having a bad day and, you know, go and walk along the beach or go to the movie, you know, go to the Mm. shopping centre and hang out or whatever it is that you do. So many of those things um, just aren't there. So I don't know if that's helpful, but it did make me go. (laughs) This is hard. There's a reason this feels really hard. Yeah. Look, Mm. I think. We we moved here pre-pandemic, but we moved into our house now halfway through the pandemic. And what I actually have noticed recently, particularly in this last lockdown, is we've actually met a lot more of our neighbours because everybody's out in their houses. They're in their street. The kids are riding their bikes up and down the street. And I don't know if we would have met that many if everybody was as busy as we were two years ago, you know, you, you had your little click of friends, you would go to the houses, you would drive there, you'd drive home, you'd go into your garage where we live and and you go into your house and you don't necessarily have that interaction. Whereas, you know, the other week I met kind of two or three different neighbours that I probably wouldn't have met before. And so I think that local community um, has built up for us it is harder because obviously, you know, you and I, we, we were going to catch up. We can't do that now because we're not in our 5Ks. I've had to cancel a lot of other friendships, that um, meetups that I was really looking forward to. And But I think people have found other ways to keep those goings. A lot of memes. Memes, yes. I think, keeping the world ticking around. <laughs> they really are, aren't they? I saw a meme the other day that was just a big eagle. It was said, me walk, doing my stupid mental health walk or something, and I just sent <laughs> it to a friend. I was like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. I think I got that on about five WhatsApp groups from Sydney and <laughs> Melbourne and Brisbane. So I was like, okay, great. <laughs> it really resonated. <laughs> I know. And that's right because it's also a visual picture. You don't have to put too much, like, worry yeah. and thought into it. You can just send it off, yeah. right? It yeah. really helps. I saw I saw something that said my love language is memes. I thought, yeah, no, that is my love language. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking of you. I send you a meme. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And I really, yeah, I think that's great. I think that's like addictive. When they look back in the future, in 50 years, they'll look at it this time and be like, what are we really getting them through? You know, in World War Two, I don't know, it was like people making blankets and yeah. sending them to the soldiers. And this time it was just people sending photos of eagles to yeah. each other with really totally. good captions. Whatever gets you, you through. Know? Yeah. Faces of tired women, just like <laughs> all of that stuff. Now, I know the last thing we wanted to talk about, other than dirty dancing, was raising girls, right? Yes. 
Mm. Had a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I should ask you quickly, is there anything else you, you're burning to say about Dirty Dancing before you move on to our Raising no, Girls? No, just if you're in lockdown at the moment and you want a little escapism, go watch Dirty Dancing. It'll give you a bit of a smile. That's all I want to say. Mm, <laughs> Public service announcement. Totally. Just get carried away, you know, get lifted up metaphorically, like spiritually, just like baby was, you know, over Patrick Swayze's head, just up in the air. Just imagine you floating up there, you know, (laughs) and we just all get carried away to the cat skills. Oh, God, he's very hot, Patrick Swayze. (laughs) Isn't he really? If for nothing else, just watch it for that. I think appreciate the whole thing. Mm, you know exactly it's just some you know it's good old yeah visuals you know art it's just art Ellen it's art and it's it's getting me through because nothing you know will get you through lockdown like some high quality you know art right yeah exactly perfect antidote Perfect, exactly. All right, so on to our second topic, raising girls, I guess, really. Mm. Mm. Where would you like to begin? What are your thoughts? Oh, I actually had the thoughts about raising girls when a couple of reasons, when when I was watching Dirty Dancing, and one of them was that the first thought when I saw some of the dancings was, my gosh, those girls are skinny. And that's still, it's so funny, you know, I'm 30, how old am I? 36, 36 now. And that's still something that comes first when I'm looking. It wasn't, oh, they're doing amazing dance moves. Oh, look at them go and look how talented they are. And it's, I think my whole thing with raising girls and the thoughts I've had is how do I help them have not have that? be their first thought because I think we particularly grew up in such an era of body image, magazines, celebrity culture, more than probably any other generation. I know that, you know, we've always had magazines and that kind of thing, but I think there's been such an onslaught and particularly now this generation with TikTok and Instagram and filters, which really scare me because I just think, how do you even know what what you can compare against? So, yeah, I think that's one big thing in raising girls that I'm really trying hard to course correct a little bit, I think. I don't know about you. Mm. With your Yours is a bit littler, so you, I don't know if you're thinking along those lines. Oh, no, I am. No, I am. And you know why I am? Because I had a, like, I struggled a lot with my weight when I was a mm. kid, um, mm, hugely. Yeah. And that was the other thing that struck me when I watched Eddie Dancing was how tiny mm. the women were, like mm. waif-like, all of them, yeah. particularly the two leads. I mean, they're, and they're gorgeous, but Wave like you knock them over with a feather. That was yeah. so tiny, yeah. and and everyone's body types are different. It's just that if that's the only kind of body type that's held up to this higher standard, it can be really damaging. Especially mm. if you're just designed uh, as I am and was as a kid, as a bigger kid. Like mm. I was just a bigger mm. kid, and I mm. and I still am. I'm broad shouldered. I carry my weight differently to that idealized tiny waist thing. I'm, I've never really had a waist. Mm. And I didn't realize how much of a thing that was until I started this show and started thinking about all the Disney shows and the stuff we watched. The tiny waist thing, which is in this movie, is yep. 
huge. Mm-hmm. It's a huge mm-hmm. message through Disney films and still is in Frozen mm-hmm. and all the other ones that to be a beautiful woman, even if you're voluptuous, you have a tiny waist, mm-hmm. you know, in all 100%. of them, even in like Hercules, like the cartoon mm-hmm. Hercules, who, and ostensibly those characters are quite uh, are bigger in the, the women are, are, are you know, bustier and have mm-hmm. hips, but they've still got that tiny waist. And yes. <laughs> I've carried that with me. And I, and it's only as a 35-year-old woman I've started to be able to really let it go, I think, maybe having two kids yep. um, and also just understanding that my body could never look like that. The only time mm. I think I had that kind of waste was when I was completely, utterly miserable and I was really underweight, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so and, and isn't that ridiculous because society then at that time kind of praised me for that mm. when I when I mm. got to this tiny weight you get you do get this kind of feedback from people that oh you don't you look wonderful don't you look great aren't you fabulous good on you congratulations um even losing the baby weight this time was a lot harder and I think um I did get that messaging of like, well done you, like you fit back mm. into your previous clothes, which I wanted to because I value my health and exercise. I love mm. my body, like being strong and fit. I really, I want to push back on the idea that we all have to be waif-like, you know, mm. and I can see in my daughter, she's like me, she loves food, loves oh, yeah. food. It's like, the best. Oh, it's the best. I love it is the me too. I am um, Dolly Alderton coined this. It is, isn't it? And my daughter is just there with me in all of it. All like she ate through a, like a lemon the other day, just bit through the skin. And I was like, I'm with you, mate. And she looked at me and was like, This is great. And I was like, Yes, it's very acidic, but you're loving it. So and I love it for you, you know. And like she doesn't like spicy food. She's one. She will. She tried our t- curries and all kinds of things. She's just into it, into all the yeah. foods, fingering, trying it all, textures, everything. Loves it. And I just, I want her to keep that, mm. you know, because I have that, and I don't want her to ever have a relationship with food that's toxic. And you know, I damaging. agree. And what I've done, just a bit of a a self-check for myself is consciously follow people on Instagram. I'm a real Instagram stalker. I barely ever post, but I'm on there a lot because um, <laughs> I really like it. But there's two particular posters that I really like. One is Katie Storino. I don't know if you followed her. And another one is Ashley Graham, the supermodel. And they're both large women. They're beautiful, but they just own it. And it's just so delightful to see them just different body shapes coming up on your feed all the time and just reminding you that it, if your body can do, then it's doing its good job. That's that's what it's about. And there's another one I follow, which is um, Beauty Redefined, and it's these two PhD women who just constantly post different ideas for how you can talk to your 
girls particularly, about their body. And one of their big things is that they said that your body is an instrument, not an ornament. And when you're talking to your girls about getting dressed, and I do this now with my four-year-old, is and she comes up to me and she goes, do I look beautiful, mummy? And of course I want to say yes, and I don't. I still don't know whether I should or not because <laughs> I overthink things. Um, but what I say is, well, how do you feel? And she goes, oh, good. I say, can you do stuff? Can you jump? Can you run? Can you do a somersault? And she does all those things. And she goes, yes, I can. I'm like, and it's great. So, you know, it's not about if it's a dress or pants. It's about what can, can your, do your clothes allow you to do stuff and use your body as an instrument, not as an ornament. And I just love that philosophy. So I've really gripped onto that when I'm unsure because it's, it's a day-by-day thing, this parenting caper. God, it really is, isn't it? It totally is. It's every day. Every day, Ellen. <laughs> it's not occasionally. It's every bloody day. Yeah. And, you know, like two-year-old is different to four-year-old problems and I know four-year-old problems will be different to six-year-old problems and they just keep changing the rules. I know, I know, and they do sort of, I think, have a really great way of reflecting all the things that you struggle with yourself and bringing your ch- own childhood right up close, I think, in a yeah. beautiful way too. Like, it, And I yeah. think there's a lot of room in there for your own self-reflection and growth and all of that stuff if you're in the mindset for it. But it is yep. um, challenging, and I, I do think the messaging around this is really tricky, and I hadn't thought about that because obviously our little person isn't there yet sort of Mm. talking and I wonder because I'm sure I say to her she's beautiful I mean I say to my son too but I don't want her to think that that's her worth in the world yeah but I still also really enjoy color and I enjoy fabrics and I enjoy Mm. makeup and I enjoy Mm. brushing my hair and doing all those things that I've noticed for her she's very sensory and she loves that whereas my son could not care if I brushed his hair ever like he just that's just not him and it's not necessarily because he's a boy it's just that's his personality he's just not as into it yeah, but what are, because my girls have started being interested, not that I wear makeup that much anymore, but when I do put it on, they're very curious, they want to try it. And the way I've kind of thought of it, because I thought, oh, no, I don't want them to be worried about makeup, is I instead try to have the, the language around it and say, you know, when they say, what's that? I say, oh, this is makeup. I really like to play with the colors. Do you want to give it a try? You know, I I like kind of trying out different things rather than the talk is, oh, I don't like this and I'm trying to make my cheekbones, you know, bigger or I'm trying to make my lips bigger or like that there's some, it's a, to cover up deficits, that it's more that I enjoy it. And and I say, and I'm, I choose to wear makeup and sometimes I choose not to wear makeup. And so that they're not saying that you, all women have to wear makeup all the time to cover up your deficits. Because I think that's the negative. I love makeup. I love playing with makeup. I don't want them not to have that um, if they choose so. But I also want them to know it's a choice. And if they don't want to, that's fine too. If they don't want to shave their legs, that's fine. If, if that's what you like, go do it. Be you. As long as you're not hurting yes. anyone. Be you. Who cares? Exactly. Exactly. And and look, to me, I I really think the most beautiful women that I can think of, and I think Glennon Doyle spoke about this Mm. in her podcast, um, We Can Do Hard Things, 
other women, when you see them in the moment doing the thing that they they love, that they're yeah. great at, that they feel power in, when they're like, there's a great show, Fleabag, and in Fleabag, there's this. I just love that show. Oh, I just but love that show so much. I know. And in the second season, there's this brilliant um, scene where the lead character, Fleabag, is talking to an older woman who's just won an award, and she's gay, and they're mm. sitting in this cocktail bar, and there's this kind of beautiful conversation they have, and that woman is just so full of herself. But not in a way that's, I don't mean that in terms of arrogance. I mean in a way that is just like she knows her own boundaries. She knows who she is. She knows what she's good at. She knows what she will and won't do. And she's been through stuff and she's let it teach her. And I, and that's, I think, to me, when you're walking in that way and you've taken care of yourself, and that's how I've started to think about talking to my son and my daughter about it, about all of this beauty stuff, is that I want to take pride in my appearance and take care of my body and myself for myself and to show respect to the people around me. But it's not about, you're right, covering up deficits. It's just about being respectful to myself and trying to think about what it is that I do, what what do I wear that is showing who I am. And I think you can mm. see that. And if showing who if showing who you are is really full on glittery, you know, skirts and dresses with like low cut tops and like I don't know, massive sky high heels, go for it. If mm. it is like me, high waisted pants and runners, <laughs> go for it. You know. Yeah. And I think that's what I've had to <laughs> reconcile myself because my four year old loves a chill. Loves a glittery <laughs> skirt. Give her a princess crown. She is yours forever. And, you know, we've tried really hard to be very gender neutral and, you know, oh, we could wear the blue or you could wear the green or you could wear this. And, no, nah, she's got none of it. And But that's okay because that's what she loves. And as long as she can do all the things she wants to do, as long as, you know, I try really hard not to say, you know, she'll put on a, a very fancy party dress and we'll go play in the mud. And I was like, that's okay. We'll just wash it. Like, that's fine. Wear that dress. Everything can get washed and, you know, she'll wear it to kinder and it'll get trashed. And that's, you know, I think it's all in those subconscious things that we do like, oh, don't, oh, you're wearing your pretty dress so you can't do that activity that you really love. That's what, that's what I really, I'm trying to kind of beat against a little bit, that clothes shouldn't stop you from doing anything. And if they are, then they're the wrong clothes, I think. Yes. I think that's so wise because I have seen that too. And I've heard that messaging or watched it being said to little girls who are wearing mm. tights with the, these beautiful mm. pinafores, don't go in the mud, don't go yeah. in that, oh, you can't wear that, oh, look at you sliding around, yep. keep your dress down. That's mm. actually something mm. that does bother me still, school uniforms. Even yep. um, at my son's school, the girls all still wear summer dresses, the boys all wear shorts, Mm. And it bugs me because what mm. is it, what happens then? Forever girls are pulling their dresses down while they're on yep. the monkey bars, you yep. know. And I think, yeah, it shouldn't stop you from doing what you want to do. Mm. And like, and we should, and the you know, let's put shorts under the dress. If you want to dress, yeah. great. Put some shorts on under there so you can swing upside, or bloomers that we used to wear, <laughs> so you can swing upside down on the monkey bars. 
I haven't right? heard of Loomis for 20 years. I'm like, that's Netflix. I know, it's so funny, right? But that's the thing, because I, I yeah. did hear a mum say, oh, stop being, you know, stop, stop hanging upside down, be more ladylike. And mm. I'm going to take that notion and put it in the bin, because I think mm. hang mm. upside down as much as you want, you know? Yep. And if you want to yep. do it wearing a dress, cool, maybe put blue yep. on, but you know, like, that's cool. I think... You're right. It's about function too. Is there anything else? So that's the beauty and body stuff, which is like, well, which is full <laughs> on. Oh my gosh, you could be here oh, for days. <laughs> we could be here for days, right? I could talk about that forever because it's an ongoing thing that I have in my own head as well. Yeah. Don't even get me started on the fact that, um, you know, the average woman in Australia is a size 14 to 16 and you go into a store yeah. still yeah. and that's seen as an extra large and there's probably not yeah. any other sizes in there. It is changing mm. a little bit, I think, but it's not changing anywhere near as fast as it should. Aside from that, something else that I found challenging raising girls is the pronoun thing have you found oh, that that a lot of kids books and and things oh i see what you're saying yeah yeah mouse yeah i had i came down so furious last night because i said to my husband every animal in this book <laughs> is a boy <laughs> and he was like okay <laughs> so uh, hun, I change all the pronouns all the time because, yeah, last night every animal was a he and I just thought, why? It's so unnecessary. And I think, I don't know if I've heard you um, talk about this before or we've spoken about this before, but I've also, I love the faraway tree and the wishing chair and, you know, that's my childhood. We've got the old books with the beautiful drawings and everything. But, you know, Joe, the boy, has the right answer for everything and always gets to go on the first adventure and tells all the girls to wait and I'll go check out the dangerous things. And the girls always have to like make the bed for the visitors while Joe carries the bags. So I regularly change character names as well as pronouns, but then you kind of get a few paragraphs in and, and you know, you've you got to remember <laughs> what you <laughs> Really hard. I found that too. Especially when who, who had that idea? I can't. Was it Bessie or was it Fanny or was it Joe? Yeah, exactly. I get really, and, and my son would pull me up on that and be like, "But she was the one driving the plane." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're right. Oh God, it's so confusing. It's a real minefield, you know." It is, but it's all it's all those subconscious things that are telling girls and boys because boys love these stories too that this is what this gender can do and is good at and this is what this gender can do and is good at and you know we once had an old principal that even said they had boy jobs in their family and girl jobs in their family and he was as blatant as that and Dan and I are very equal and we really share everything and we went what you know that it's still um thought of like that in in very many places for ridiculous things like lawn mowing like that doesn't have a gender assigned to it but it has become gendered Mm. it has yeah and i and i it's interesting isn't it because it it still definitely is and and there's a real assumption like my husband rang me this a few months ago because i organize the tool shed and I that's I've got, it's not that very organized not surprise me 
Look, and I don't use it that often, but I brought, it's like all my gardening equipment is in there. I bought the lawn, like the lawnmower, all the things that we need, all the tools kind of stuff is in the garden shed. And I organized the garden shed to be there in the first place. And James messaged me because he promised he was going to mow the lawn. And he messaged me and was like, where's the lawnmower? And I said, in the garden shed. And he said, where's the garden shed? (laughs) One for feminism. (laughs) Yeah, correct. Exactly. I was like, I will keep that story in reason later. (laughs) And look, and we're the same. We're we're equal. I mean, and there is still lots of things that, like, he will do or that I will do. And sometimes they're gendered roles and sometimes they're not, you know. I don't love mowing the lawn. I would prefer not to, but I do it. And Dan does it. I'm sure he doesn't love mowing the lawn on a Sunday afternoon either. He would rather be playing basketball or doing something else fun. But I think it's that when it's always one gender, that becomes, you know, oh, well, that's what they're good at. And then I remember reading Annabelle Crabb and she was talking about it becomes self um, fulfilling then because she's the good present wrapper in her family. And, you know, if you, and her argument too is a little bit that that also saves us time that if you have someone specializing in an area, you know, someone's the present wrapper, someone's the present buyer, but not putting a gender on it. It's just, okay, well, I'm, I enjoy that. I don't mind doing that role. I'll do it, whether you're a male or a female or same sex or whatever it is. So I think that's also. An interesting aspect to it. Oh, it's so complex. <laughs> it is, isn't it? And I know, and we could talk about it forever. I think maybe the important thing is, and I was speaking to a psychologist, Carly McGoran, in our episode, and she just said that the best thing you can do is just keep the communication lines open, yeah. you know? And yeah. when you don't get it right and you have that conversation and you think, oh, God, I really said the wrong thing there, I really didn't do the right thing there, or uh, you know, James in our house takes out the bins. That's one of his jobs. And I literally never do it. But I, but we decided to divvy up some things that I yeah. just don't ever think about. I have no idea when recycling is. I don't know. He does all of that. And that is probably very gendered, but also I'm very happy with that. And I have to take the bins out, you know. You're a guilty feminist. I'm a feminist, but I don't want to take the it's bins out. Correct. And I look, and I'll take the rubbish out occasionally, but that's his, like, he will do it and he does yeah. it well. Yeah. He folds all the cardboard, does all the things. And I think that, you know, it's the same with parenting, right, with all of this stuff, raising girls and all the things. Mm. It's just having that open dialogue. And, I mean, to bring it back to dirty dancing, that's what happened. There was a miscommunication yes. between baby's father and baby about you know, the difficulties with Penny's baby and all of that stuff. And so he saw her in one way and once they sorted out their communication issues, he realised he'd had it wrong. <laughs> so we just have to keep talking to our kids, don't we, yeah. at Nauseam. And keep watching Dirty Dancing to get parenting tips. <laughs> yes. is, that what, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> Correct. Yes, that is exactly what you're hearing and that is what I'm recommending. We all need to go and watch Dirty Dancing again. I might do that after this. I might go get myself another cocktail and just watch Patrick Swayze. Uh, (laughs) Heavenly. Correct. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh, gosh. Well, thank you so much, Ellen, for doing this. It's been really fun. It's been lovely during lockdown to watch Dirty Dancing and have thoughts about raising girls. I've loved it. Yeah, it's. I know it's been. I think that's what you've got to do, right? Just do some things like that to keep your mind off things and get you through. Yes, right and and can I recommend if anybody is raising girls at the moment that the um, Steve Bidoff book Raising Girls, he's also done one Raising Boys, is fantastic at really practical ways to think about all of these kinds of things what toys and how do we choose toys and how do you talk to them and um all of that so it's it's a really helpful helpful practical mm. book it totally is it's so interesting you say that because i had that written down to steve got Middle. it right here in front of me <laughs> yeah absolutely i i loved actually while you've brought that up Bidoff, I love how he has these five stages. He talks through security, exploration, learning to get along with others and finding one's passion or spark. Yes. No. I just read that passion or spark one the other day and he was talking about how to embrace that spark. Girls, and I guess boys too, need three things. They need their parents to support them, their school community to support them, and they need time to kind of embrace that spark. And I just thought that's such a great little key for parents to keep in mind that, you know, our eldest daughter's looking like she's loving arts and crafts and painting and that kind of thing and and all those different factors that might be able to kind of spark that for her. I thought that was so helpful. Mm, absolutely. I, I thought that was so helpful too. It's such a great way of framing that idea of what you are doing and what you can do with your body, right? Is yep. finding that passion or spark rather than being a bauble or, or yep. decorative, I guess. Yep. And the other part I actually loved was the preparing um, for the freedom and responsibilities of adulthood as well. And this, mm. I think, just translates to good parenting for boys mm. and girls and kids who are non-binary, whatever gender they um, mm. sort of affiliate with. And I think I just love that idea that we're, and I think Michelle Obama said it too in her memoir that she's raising her kids to be adults one day and be mm. completely independent from her. And yeah. so I, I sometimes say that to my little people too, you know, that gives you that kind of reassurance that you might not be loving what I'm trying to get you to do at the moment, but everything I'm doing is sort of teaching you to be mm-hmm. autonomous and independent, you know? Yeah, it's the long game and that's that's the hard thing sometimes as a parent. There's, it's it's easy and not to say that we don't ever do it, but it's easy to give in to the tantrums and to the, yes, one more lolly or yes, you know, you can watch TV for 10 hours or whatever it is because it's easier at the moment. But it's thinking that long game, who are the people we want to raise? Who are the teenagers when they really can have a choice whether they listen to me or not because they can walk out the door and go to their girlfriend's or boyfriend's house or best friend's house or whatever how do we kind of create the circumstances now so that we have a relationship then to build that, you know, respect on? Um, mm. But it's really tiring in a pandemic to keep thinking of the long game at times. <laughs> it's really hard. Isn't it? I, know, I know that's, and that's the thing. I'm just really tired, Ellen. <laughs> No, it's hard. I know, I know. One foot in front of the other. Yeah, I think that's great advice for anyone listening to, right? You just Mm. one foot in front of the other Mm. and, you know, we'll get through. 
Yeah, we and will. I think I think the little kindnesses, what you were saying about your coffee maker and my noodle box person today, though those things that resonated with us. So I think if we can then send little kindnesses out to people, you don't know how much that's going to change someone's day because there's a lot of crappy stuff going on. I think little kindnesses get people through. There is, yeah. I think that's so true. That's I think that's what we need to rely on at the moment, right? And that extra little layer of compassion for people, yeah. even yeah. the person that, I don't know, pushes in front of you somewhere or not that I'm driving anywhere at the moment, <laughs> but, you know, like with that little bit of road rage or that person who seems stressed or isn't wearing mm. their mask properly mm. or whatever it is, I think we've all just got to kind of have that feeling of empathy that we don't know what they're going through. It was even actually translated to me into, you know, the protests that are happening because obviously (laughs) with our strict lockdown, there's a lot of protesting going on and I absolutely agree we should be in lockdown and I Mm. do think obviously the protests are putting at risk a lot of people's health and our overall the health of our state. But I also, on the flip side, think I'm a, I have the ability to feel safe and my income hasn't been affected. I can still work. I have a family around me. I have a support network. Mm. So I can sit in my warm, comfortable house and, and stay in lockdown and do what I need to do. But there are so many people who aren't in that situation and you know, where would I be if like, I know I was hearing someone the other day, just, you know, rallying against everybody and yelling about all the people who are protesting. And and I get that too, because it's frustrating. Mm. But I also think, you know, you know, people are doing it really, really, really Mm. tough. And if you've got no income and no ability to work, I mean, and you've got a family to care Mm. for. Yeah. There's a lot of people in a lot of difficult situations, I think. Yeah, and we're only going to come out of this by coming together because if we all pull apart, it's just not going to work. Mm. Yeah. So go get vaccinated, everyone. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's our, That's the only road through, right, is for us yeah. all to get vaccinated. I've had yeah. my first one and I'm having my second one in September. And Yeah. Yeah, we just got to do it. We got to keep yeah. Everyone working through it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. All right. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you. That was so lovely. You've been listening to a podcast with me, Claire Tonti, and this week with my wonderful friend, Ellen Steele. Isn't she awesome? All right. If you loved this episode, I would so love you to scroll back in the feed and listen to some others and share them with a friend. You can subscribe, rate, and review right on your phone right now just an app would just do me the biggest favor you can find me at claire 20 on instagram and i'm also on a website called claire and a podcast on thursdays called suggestible with my husband man james where we argue and recommend each other things this week is a halloween special and james is making me watch spooky things and i hate watching spooky things so that should be a really good fun time That comes out every Thursday, as I said. This has been Taunts, which comes out every Tuesday. Thank you, as always, to Raw Collings for editing this week's episode, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.